Welcome to Rethinking Aloud, the podcast for the Diocese of Leicester. This week's podcast on music and worship is split into two parts. So let's join John Barrett and his guests now for part two. So you can often tell a lot about what a particular church really values, um, I think, by, by its internal architecture. Uh, so you might go to one Anglican church and it's the altar that dominates and you're like, OK, this is a Eucharistically centred church. Uh, you might go into another Anglican church and there's a, an enormous imposing pulpit that's front and centre. And you, you realise, OK, this is a place where preaching and the ministry of the word is central. Uh, increasingly these days in many churches, the communion table is movable, the pulpit's a lectern, uh, and the only fixed thing seems to be that perspex surround that the drum sits in. Uh, and smack bang in the middle of the stage, yeah, there's a bank of amps and guitars and keyboards. Is that significant? And I'm being a bit mischievous here, but, you know, my personal theological tradition is kind of low Anglican evangelical. The congregations in that tradition will always tell you that preaching is the most important thing. Um, but I know that whatever they say, lots of them are mostly there for the music. Um, and and you know, it spans the musical kind of um, musical range. Uh, in this diocese, I've had a few people say to me, I go to the cathedral for the music. So hats off, Chris, you're obviously doing a fine job. Uh, there's one other church in the diocese with a choral tradition where people have also said to me, I go there for the music. Um, so whether it's 50 minutes of charismatic singing and bopping up and down and waving your arms in the air or organ and choir, how do you guys feel about that, um, uh, about the place of music, and whether it perhaps is, perhaps sometimes occupies too important a place or maybe it doesn't? I don't know. Any, any I, I think a lot of people might say that they go for the music. But I bet if we were to sit down and ask them, they would probably come out with other things as well. So if I, I was, you know, in, in what you were saying there, if I was thinking about how I would choose a church, if that was the right phrase to use, you know, I would obviously think about the music. I would also think about the teaching, about what ministry I could get involved in and what the mission of the church was, what it was doing outside its walls, um, how I might be cared for and looked after. And I, I think actually a lot more of those are important to people than we might give them credit for. Um right. I think if I was thinking about the, the music side of it, you know, personally, I would um, be looking for somewhere where the, the musical worship was, I guess, transformational. And I know that's how I chose my curacy, for example. I, I turned up for a Sunday and uh, listened to a sermon and, um, and and joined in the sung worship and went back to various people and said, yes, I could be there because um, the, 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 the Bible teaching um, I could relate to and, and the sung worship was transformational. I felt like I could meet with God and, and the whole service wasn't just you know, singing things or saying things. It was uh, feeding me and I could be sent out and built up and all of those sort of things. Um, and I think actually a lot more people would be like that than maybe we uh, we think. Um, there's probably going to be something that draws people in and that maybe needs to challenge us in terms of thinking about, you know, the words and what songs we choose and things like that. If people are coming because of, you know, the music and and the songs that we sing, that puts even more importance on, you know, what we choose and how we put things together. And, and um, not that we're there to um, feed a sort of uh, someone coming to shop around and, 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 and that sort of thing. But how do we feed people in, in some worship that, that um, is more than, than just them coming for the music? Um, that's, you know, yeah. 
I think um, to answer your first question, John, is it significant that the band's kit is the only <laughs> fixed thing? Um, I think I'd, I'd have to say no. I mean, the cathedral organ isn't readily portable. Um, and, <laughs> you know, uh, though the, you may have seen that there was, there was a story in the, uh, we're going off on a tangent now, a story in the news about um, three or four months ago, a German tourist returned an organ pipe to York Minster that he'd um, nicked <laughs> on a visit there 40 <laughs> years previously. They hadn't noticed it was missing. <laughs> um, but anyway, I mean, so basically, I mean, the cathedral organ isn't movable. And um, I would like to think that, um, that the, uh, the, while you that, that could be a metaphor for the place of music in our worship, um, it's not. You know, the cathedral organ isn't isn't immovable because um, organ music is a, a, a an immovable part of our worship. But um, so I don't think it tells you anything specifically about the place of it in the worship. It's just the practicalities of moving uh, moving a lot of heavy kit around each time. Um, I mean, to answer the second question, am I okay with people coming to the cathedral because of the music? I think, I mean, I can give an absolutely clear answer. I'm absolutely okay with that. Um, I remember the uh, Christian Union when I was at college putting in a huge amount of effort into working out what kind of bait, for want of a better mm. word, they could use to get people to come to um, evangelistic events and talks mm. and what have you. Um, and um, I'm guessing, again, John, knowing uh, you're a keen angler, that if you could get the fish to tell you what kind of bait <laughs> they like the most, you'd really want to know. So if if um, people are, uh, are saying to us, um, we want we go to this church because of the music, um, as long as using that particular kind of music isn't compromising our worship in any way and is also... Um, feeding and nourishing us, then we're kind of crazy not to use it. I remember seeing a, an Australian atheist railing against the Anglican church in Australia for not making a bigger fuss about choral evensong. He said, I go every day. I don't believe a word you're singing, but I wouldn't ever miss mm. it. You know, I mean, there's, 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 there's something there, isn't mm. there? Um, and I think also um, when it comes to um, uh, believers who are saying, well, I, I want, I'll, I'll go there because of the music. Um, Again, um, I think we need to unpack a bit. What are they saying when they say that? Um, are they saying, I want to go there because, um, you know, I really, I don't really want to have to worship. I just want to go to a concert. Obviously, we don't want them doing mm. that. But if what they're saying is that the, the, the kind of music that we provide in our respective settings is nourishing them, helping them to reflect, helping them to pray, drawing them nearer to God, helping them to worship, then... Really, that would, that's what that's saying is we're, we're doing our job. And I think it's, um, it, it, it's an in, indication of the, uh, the weight of responsibility that we yeah. bear. Um, but um, that's, that, that's something to be um, cherished, I would say. Uh, mm. um, I would just pick up on that thing about the organ and the, and the band on stage. Because, I, I mean, it's interesting. It doesn't often strike you when you walk into a, a cathedral. You think, "Oh goodness me!" They put the organ in the middle. Again. <laughs> oh, I can't, can't they move that to the side? Um, but then uh, there are some good architectural reasons for that, and there's some good acoustic reasons. And you know, it could be mm. in the middle of the back, or it, and, and so on. But it's more recent that the band has moved mm. onto the stage, mm -hmm. and therefore people have taken a decision to do that. And I think it reflects a, a couple of things. I think it partly just reflects fashion. I think it's a trend. We've seen other people do it. It looks great. It looks more like a, a concert. 
It looks more impressive. I think there's a bit of theology going on in there, which is a sort of a, a, a sense of the priesthood of all believers. Let's get more people up on the stage. So it looks like, but but the danger of that, of course, is that you then make some of the believers the priests who, and, and some of them not by, by is doing exactly that. But I think the key thing, and I, I found this when I've, um, when I've been teaching undergraduates about um, contemporary worship is this thing of sacramental theology. It's this, it's this question of what is the th- where is the place in your gathered worship where you believe you meet God? And, and I think by and large, it, it, it's usually either the, the table, the Eucharist, you meet God in the, in the Eucharist, or it's the word, you meet God in the word, or more, and this is a more modern idea, you meet God in the music. Mm. That's, and people talk in those terms. People talk now sacramentally about worship. That's where we encounter God. That's where we open the gates of heaven. That's what invokes the presence of the spirit and so on. And those are all the kind of things, actually, you might once have probably said about the bread and the wine. And it, I think you can identify those strands. And then it becomes fairly clear why you're shifting a table to the side or why you're bringing the pulpit in the middle or, or, or other things. Mm-hmm. So thinking about words, we've talked quite a lot about words in worship. Um, it's something that fascinates me. If you look at the book of Psalms, the, the hymn book of ancient Israel, there are more psalms of lament than any other type of psalm. Um, now, I know that there are some traditional hymns and some modern songs that touch on lament. Uh, you know, think of a traditional hymn, you might think of It Is Well With My Soul. You know, when peace like a river uh, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roar, whatever my lot that was taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. A modern equivalent might be blessed be your name. Uh, you know, blessed be your name. When I'm found in the desert place, when there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. So it does happen. But do you think we do enough lamenting in sung worship? Mm-hmm. Or is there a learning curve that needs to happen? Is it something we need to learn to do better? Well, let's take a, a very short answer. Um, no, we don't do enough, I would say. <laughs> um, in contemporary worship, I can't necessarily speak for every tradition. So I'm, I'm going to speak for my own, really. Uh, no we don't um and interestingly i I don't think that's because um i don't think it's because people aren't writing laments i know loads of songwriters and incredibly gifted ones who are writing songs of lament but i think the problem is we have a model and each worshiping tradition has a what a model and then tries to fit things into it we have a liturgy a model and and i think the liturgy of contemporary worship doesn't have a place for it so until we, we actually need to kind of deconstruct the whole thing a bit to get that that in, but I'd also note an interesting phenomenon. That's what the last ten years or so is. You sort of go through the CCLI top twenty-five, which is the where people report their songs, and so you know by and large which are the most popular contemporary worship songs. And almost every song will mention storms. I mean, they're everywhere. Everybody talks about storms all the time. Through the storms, you're the you're the faithful friend, and and all the rest of it. So there's definitely a trend to acknowledge life's difficulties but actually what there probably isn't yet and 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 i think even those two that you you quoted there john don't really do necessarily is to complain is to get angry is to not settle for uh, is not to say well it's tough but you know as as it as you like lord but actually say no not as you like lord i i'm, I'm not happy with it. you know to bring that kind of emotion and then that's difficult to do if your if your model is all is all about let's go on a journey towards a certain encounter with god that's collectively together and ends in intimacy sometimes you've got to say you know we, we're going to sing this and the truth is only five people in this gathering out of a hundred mm. will be really singing this truthfully but because of that we will sing it with them and we'll sing it for them and i think that there's a big journey 
to, to go on. Yeah, definitely. That, that's really helpful, actually, Joel. I think it is really hard to sing together those songs that are, um, are lamenting because, as you say, that, you know, it might only be a few people, but it's worth it for those few people. Um, I, I, I read a book, mm. I can't remember when it was, and I can't remember who it was by, um, but I knew it was a a New Zealand guy talking about why people leave the church and it was um talking one of the the reasons that he came out with is because there was a lack of lament in in the church and um so there is something that we definitely need to do uh, we've been doing a, a short sermon series on the psalms over august and i preached yesterday on psalm 42 and in in itself that has got moments of lament in there and um mm. and it's interesting because it's a psalm uh, written probably by one of the people in charge of uh, sung worship who's um, really struggling with the fact that um, he's not where everyone else is he's not able to join in singing and in worship and that really speaks to today doesn't it and and what we've been doing alongside that is uh, sharing some of the songs that our con- people in our congregation have been writing and we've been putting them on a playlist on our YouTube channel and um, we happen to share one of my songs and as you mentioned about the storm, I realise it does have the word storm. <laughs> um, but that sense of of um, being able to, with with our songs, say those things that that we are really finding difficult, and and uh, using the words of the psalms and and other things to to really do that. But I think that it's getting that balance right. It's getting the balance right between lamenting and praising and when we look at the psalms we see that a lot of the psalms most of them most of those psalms of lament will get to a point of a vow to praise at some point um they go from you know disorientation disorientation to reorientation um, good old brueggemann good old brueggemann absolutely and and that sense of um of helping people move on that I don't like the word journey but on that journey um and maybe we need to be thinking more about that in in how we do our our, our worship lead lead worship in general not just in our sung worship but in in all aspects of it um but yeah that's really helpful what you said at the beginning there Joe Joel and for all of us I think Joel has ruined this Sunday's online worship experience because oh. we're all playing storm bingo <laughs> <laughs> Listening to that worship song and thinking, where's the ubiquitous storm? Man? <laughs> can feel it. it used to be gaining your sight, but now it's storm. Yeah. <laughs> I think just um, coming back to the Psalms, which um, is obviously the, the, the backbone of the offices sung in, um, in, in cathedrals, um, there's uh, the issue of what, what are known as the cursing verses, mm. <laughs> which are the verses that express emotions which we really don't want to, well, we, we can possibly identify with to, to some extent, but which we wouldn't recognise as the kind of healthy emotions that we want to have. But nevertheless, they're, they're really real. Um, and I think we need to own the fact that they're there. Um, and um, I remember from my, my days as a chorister, the Oxford Psalter that we, we sang the Psalms from, had those verses in brackets and they might or might not be crossed out. Um, and different places would choose to sing them or not to sing them. Probably the um, the, the most obvious example is the end of Psalm 137, yeah. which finishes by saying, blessed is he that taketh thy children and dasheth them against the stones. Well, clearly, I don't <laughs> think any of us would want to um, condone that kind of behaviour to, uh, towards children. But I think it's um, it's really important to, to recognise that sometimes we do feel really, really angry yeah with God, with other people, um, and to um, uh, not not suppress that. 
that then raises the question, if we do sing those in worship, clearly we're not saying these are words that we are making our own in the worship. These are words that if we are singing them, we're singing them because we recognise they're part of human experience. Um, and uh, John, this may be a, a topic for a whole other uh, podcast with, uh, um, with with people who know more about the Psalms than I do. But it's it's a it's a, a and I think with with awareness of um, of mental health issues, and, and I think you know particularly with the situation we're in at the moment, it's um, it will have. Um, uh, had a profound effect on people's mental health and how they're feeling about things and just how we deal with that as a church and you know we don't always have to feel happy and gooey about um our relationship with god and our relationship with the church yeah absolutely yeah yeah so so i think once we've sorted out how to lament as a church we then work out how to do imprecation as a church but i think <laughs> maybe. um the, Setting aside you know, when we deliberately perhaps have a musical setting of the creed, um, or I know that there are one or two uh, modern versions where I believe in God the Father, um, Hillsong or, or something. Um, but do, do you think we sing enough theology or enough sort of in inverted commas creedal statement? Or is our song worship too first person? Um, or, or actually, is first person good because it owns the theology? But just, you know, it, it, is there enough meaty theology in our singing well what, what do you reckon so just speaking from my own tradition again in the in the sort of contemporary worship world i think that's a fair i think it's a totally fair um accusation in a sense i think and i think it comes from this understanding again what is worship and if you think worship is all response then you just sing your response and frankly if, if i just um if I just spew out what's inside me, it's not going to be very exciting. But if I sing of the wonders of God and all that he has done and all that he means and all the rest of it, well, uh, you know, that's going to be rich and, uh, and wonderful. So I think it's that, it's that balance of we've, we, we talk about relation, uh, worship a lot in terms of relationship and response, but what we've got to understand is that revelation comes before that. And so, yeah, I would, I, I'd love to see us sing more, more richer theology, but it takes, it takes poets and wordsmiths to do it. And that's the other weakness mm. is that the model, which is, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to be outraged. The model, which is that all worship songs are written by 19 year old men in their bedrooms in one go is not going to bring out lots of rich theologies. It's a, a different kind of model of worship writing, worship song writing, which probably is going to draw much more on the hymn writing tradition. I, I think is more like to achieve that. I actually think there's, there's probably a lot more theology in our worship songs than we, we think at times. I did, I did a dissertation looking at the metaphors of atonement in contemporary worship songs. And it, it was fascinating uh, looking at um, all that sort of, it was really actually the main the main thing I found really interesting was the, the the change from one particular period to another, and you know there'd be like all the victory stuff was around the time of the March for Jesus and Graham Kendrick and and so on, and then when Matt Redman started writing, it was much more about sacrifice and and things like that. Um, but I think the the question is, is it good theology that's in our songs? Yeah. Um, and and that's the challenge that that we you know we all need to be looking at the the theology of our worship songs because we learn so much through what we sing and we remember so much through what we sing so it's really important what we sing um and therefore it's a challenge to those who write them and it's a challenge to those who choose them as well how do we make sure that worship is truly congregational uh, you know not just a bunch of musicians whether it's organ and choir or band and singers kind of getting off on the music and effectively performing to an audience uh, you know, how, how do we ensure 
as to the extent that we can participation that it is the people of god doing something together not being done to i think i guess we sort of picked up a little bit on that in terms of uh whether a song is good or not and and whether a song is being written well because uh, you know for a song to um be truly congregational it not needs to involve congregational engagement and therefore how a song is written makes a massive difference so you know, actually something that's relatively simple and easy to pick up really helps. I really, um, I bang on about this to our musicians, pitch. So what key a song is put in makes a massive difference to mm. the congregation mm. being able to join in. So um, a lot of songs that are led particularly by men tend to be too high for women. And sometimes when women lead, the songs are too low for men. So we do need, and and, and the reason I bring that up is I think there's actually something about caring for one another in that so um i i sometimes feel that i'm being almost like almost forced to submit by being made to sing an octave lower than the music is written for me um or to sing a harmony um i often sing harmonies when i can't sing sing it at pitch and i've got quite a good range um so there is something about um you know, the pitch and making it singable. Um, I think there's something about familiarity that helps people join in, um, but new challenges. And it, I think it's important to have the new as well. Um, it's not, I don't think it's about style. Um, I, I think there is something about those who are leading congregational worship being there to facilitate worship. So, you know, I remember being in a, 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 a a course and we were talking about worshiping with three eyes that we we worship with our eyes focused on on god but also on the congregation and also on ourselves um, and when you're leading worship you need to have all of those eyes open uh, watching out and, and trying to see where things are going um and i think there's something about worship leaders need to be worshipers um and um, making sure that when they're worshiping they are leading in that as well um, i think you can be the best musician in the world but not a very good worship leader um, and that's a real challenge. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's making things accessible, really. Yeah, I, I, perhaps the answer in, in the question: you know, how do you make something congregational involve the congregation? Yeah, uh, whether that's in the preparation, which is really hard to do. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's an effort if you're going to involve. It's much easier to plan worship sitting on your own in a, <laughs> somewhere and just and so on. If you're going to involve other people in it, but actually involve the congregation in in the preparation in in the actual execution of it and, and in the things you do um and and don't do the same thing all the time mm. and then that's a i just think maybe that's just a key thing for worship in lots of ways we've talked about how different some different traditions have particular strengths or um uh, and so on um, we've talked about how uh, sometimes learning some old words, some words you don't even know what they mean, is going to pay off in in fifty years, and it is. But you don't want all your words like that. And so, so you've just got to have. If you're having some variety, gives you much better chance mm. of making things congregational. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, a, an aspect of this. So, what we've talked about so far in response to this question is how can we make it uh, easier for the congregation to. Um, join in the singing of of particular things. I think then there's there's, there's also the question, particularly for those involved in, um, for want of a better term, cathedral style worship, is um, there are large parts of uh, choral evensong where the congregation isn't um, actively saying something or, or or singing, and in a sense, there to the to the outside um, uh, observer, they might be seen just to be. Um, at a sacred concert mm. um and um 
I think, I mean, in, in many ways, um, I don't mind if people are coming through the door to ex- to experience a sacred concert if that's what they want. And as we've, we've said before, there's lots of um, uh, non-believers who've done that. And I know um, a number of non-believers who um, have, have, have done that. And, and that was then their first step to faith, including you know, a number of people with whom I've um, sung in choirs with. Um, but I think it's also... Um, making people realize that in order to be involved in worship and in order to be worshiping, you don't necessarily have to be particularly active. Um, and I think um, the, the the skill of using what what is being sung um, as um, a vehicle for your own prayers um, or uh, to, to help you get into the frame of mind where you're able to communicate with God or just letting it touch your soul in the kind of way that when you walk out of the building, you think, you know what, I feel differently about that. I think those are all valuable things. And I think um, uh, without knowing a huge amount of these kind uh, about these things, but things like um, Julian prayer groups, which are, as if I've understood them correctly, um, are completely silent. Um, There's then something that says, you know, I can just sit and be and let what I what's what's going on around me, let it affect me and let God speak to me through that. So I would hope that um, for the for the believer coming to a uh, to a cathedral service, they would want to use the music that the choir sings um, on its own. Um, they'd want to use that in that way. Um, so, Eleanor, um, predominantly for you, although if anyone else wants to jump in, they can. But um, I guess this is more of a vicaring question. Um, I did 20 years in parish ministry. Uh, and when there was tension, uh, music was often the area of tension. I mean, thankfully, never in a big way. Um, but I used to have people come to me and say, oh, I prefer old hymns or I prefer modern worship songs. or I like this or that or the other. Uh, and if they were saying it to try and change stuff or try and influence me, I really wanted to say, yeah, I'm really not interested because, mate, it's not all about you, is it? I, I didn't say that because I did three years at theological college where they teach you how to pretend to be a nice person. Um, <laughs> theologically, you know, worship isn't predominantly even for the whole congregation's benefit. You know, it's for God's. We're offering it to him. He's the recipient. You know, he's both the focus and the object. Uh, then secondly, I would argue it's for the whole congregation. And only thirdly, is it for the individual believer? Um, so how do you respond, Eleanor, to the kind of me, me, me attitude that sometimes comes into congregational differences around music in worship. <laughs> um, well, actually, you know, I, I, I sort of want to quote a friend of mine who did basically what you said you thought you shouldn't do. So one day someone came up to him at the end of a service and said, oh, the worship wasn't very good today. And, and their response was, well, it wasn't about you. <laughs> I so wish I'd been a fly on the wall, I have to admit. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly will try and help people understand that worship isn't about them. But I always want to listen as well, because there's usually a reason behind what they're saying. And um, that's part of it. But um, certainly my response uh, to people who who say that sort of thing to me is is to first, I always try and make sure I back up those who are choosing the music. Um, because I know they have prayerfully considered whatever they have chosen. And if I've chosen the songs or whatever, I, I have done that as well. And um, I think I, I owe it to those who've done that. Um, 
I also like to remind people that, say, in my context, we've got three or four hundred people, um, and and I'm not there to please them. We're not we're not there. We're not service providers in that sense. Um, you know, I'm there to um, help people worship, and um, there's no way I could please everyone because we all have individual likes and dislikes and all of those things. Um, it's interesting at the moment, actually, because we've only got one online service a week um, and we have four songs in that. And so trying to put together a service which covers what would have been three congregations um, mm. is, is really difficult. So one of the things that we did um, a couple of months ago is sent out a, a survey to the whole congregation and just asked them to fill things in. And um, we had a few people, not lots, maybe, I, I wouldn't like to say the numbers, but not not huge numbers, who said, we're singing too many new songs. And um, we we felt that we needed to hear that um, because we recognised that we're in a really strange time and um, people are, are needing familiarity in all sorts of different ways. And so we made a decision in, in July to only choose songs that we knew were, were known really well. Um, we, we now are gradually introducing of other songs that we've done before but are not so well known. Um, but there was something about familiarity for that. The other thing I say to people is that we, and we've talked about this already, is that we need a balanced diet, that we, we do need to sing a mixture of songs because, we're, we're as you say, we're worshipping God. It's primarily about God, but it's also about one another and that um, some people will um, find it more able to connect with God, if that's a phrase you use um, in particular songs. Some will find it in different ways. Um, and so we need a balance, but we all need a, a balanced diet we all actually need i believe um you know psalms hymns and spiritual songs as it says in mm. um in the new testament and um and so i try and help people understand that that music and worship is is something that is um about who god is and we need to song, sing songs that are you know are, are proclaiming who god is and we also need to sing songs that are about life we've talked about that with the psalms um, and sometimes we will sing songs that are of the moment. We've talked about that as well. Um, and there may be things that they don't like, um, but there'll be others who like them <laughs> and mm. others who will connect in, 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 in that way more than others. And, and we have to be aware of one another in it. You know, we're a body of Christ. Uh, we, um, we need to relate to one another and support one another and care for one another. And one of the ways we can do that is, is worshipping sometimes in, in songs or in, 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 in particular uh, musical styles that that might not suit one person over over another um so yeah those are some of the sort of ways i respond to that but i will always listen <laughs> that's imperative i mean if i can just just come in on this as well it, it puts me in mind of um if i say the words of genesis i mean the band rather than uh, the words in that book of the bible which is uh, <laughs> i know what i like and i like what i know um, mm. and i think that's probably a fairly apt description and i think um, it's incumbent on us to encourage people out of their comfort zones and possibly also to encourage them to challenge what perhaps their perception is of the role of music in worship. Yeah. Um, so, um, again, just uh, I remember being told a story um, about um, uh, a performance of, well, sorry, um, the uh, the organist had played the last movement of um Messian's uh, La Nativité du Seigneur, the uh, the birth of the Savior, yeah. and the last movement is called God Among Us, Dieu parmi nous, um, and um, it's not what you and I would describe as consonant music. It's um, uh, 
um, it's a very particular um, musical language. And the comment that was made to the audience after, to, sorry, to the organist afterwards was, it sounded like the roof of the church was going to blow off. Um, to which the organist's response was, well, that's a pretty apt um, yeah. way of representing the incarnation. <laughs> yeah. um, so it doesn't, when we listen to music, do we always have to like it? What mm. do we mean when we say we like mm. it? Um, uh, again, um, we, we uh, sang um, a piece by James Macmillan called Cantos Sagrados on Good Friday, um, obviously not 2020, 2019. Mm. Um and uh, it combines um, texts from the Latin mass, um, isolated texts, not the whole lot, with um, liberation theology poetry from South America, which is highly political. Mm. So the third movement um, combines the words um, crucifixus etiam pro nobis, he was crucified for us, with a poem about an execution by firing squad. Wow. Now, I shouldn't be listening to that and feeling comfortable. <laughs> Um, and in a sense, if we, we 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 shouldn't require that our music mm. makes us feel gooey and happy all the time. There's, there's a place for that. Um, and similarly, the, the first movement of that is um, is also much more arresting um, in terms of the musical language. So it's not comfortable to listen to. It describes the discovery of a um, a, a, a body in the river and um, the despair. Well, you know, nobody's going to look into this because. Um, you know, it's the same as happened every time and all that kind of injustice. Um, so I think um, it wouldn't be fair of us to um, serve up that kind of diet all the time. Mm. Um, but every now and again, saying to people, um, music isn't just about feeling comfortable. Being a Christian isn't just about feeling comfortable. And if we want our music to play a full part in our worship and in our response to God, then it has to be allowed to make us feel uncomfortable um, mm. and challenge us um, as, as well as providing the solace and, and comfort that it clearly does at other times. Yeah. And I guess if people are saying, um, yeah, I like this particular type of music or I don't prefer that, or actually the music might be the presenting issue, but the real deeper issue is that they haven't got a theology of church. Uh, and, and that for them, whether it's some form of secular individualism or maybe it's perhaps um the more negative flip side of the reformation or whatever you might want to attribute it to or maybe it's thatcher thatcherism in the 1980s you know wherever you attribute it to somehow a kind of heightened emphasis on the individual over and above the collective uh, has become where they've misunderstood what church is uh, and so maybe their problem is less a musical one and more of a one of not having a theology of church yeah i think i think that's probably quite true i think there's definitely a sense that that um we we've possibly lost that that sense of when we gather to worship we are worshiping with one another as well you know um some someone would describe it as horizontal and vertical that that sense of actually we are there with other people and therefore they really matter um and when we're singing we're not just there on our own Um, we can choose that when we're at home we can decide what we're going to sing at home (laughs) But with others, it's a different story. Uh, what is it that you love about being involved in leading or facilitating uh, the musical worship of the people of God? I'll go. Um, I, I mean, there are so many things, but I, I, I'm just going to pick when I'm leading. And I'm often, if I lead, stuff in a position where I'm standing and I can see people's faces, and it's where they sing a line, where they sing a lyric, and you see something 
light up in there. You see it connect. You see the, the meaning of it sinking. Mm. You see something unlocked, whatever it is. Um, I, that's very precious. And it's a little bit selfish because most other people don't get to see mm. that. But I do because of what I do. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for it. Um, I think um, we, we've touched on lots of it already from uh, from my personal point of view. One thing that perhaps I haven't um, mentioned as much as I might um, is um, the, the 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 role of of the cathedral choir um, as um, as a um, a form of instruction and nurturing the um, the faith, whatever stage that may be at, of of, of the people in it, um, and. Um, I remember the, the the day my uncle died going into the cathedral in the evening to take a boys choir practice and thinking um as we were rehearsing the psalms particularly thinking if what I'm giving these these lads is something that if they're in the same situation um in um 70 years time that they can too draw on those kinds of resources and that um I'm making a difference to um, somebody's faith journey just by equipping them with the, with the tools they need um and in that particular context that 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 was that was very moving mm-hmm. um I, I think i would say um I, I one thing always sticks in my mind if if i think about that sort of thing and that was once when i was standing at the front of the the church but with my back to the congregation so i was standing as if i was the front on the front pew if you like the front row of chairs and i could hear behind me everybody singing holy 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 um the words holy 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 which obviously you know were in lots of different songs um so strongly behind me that it was i was almost transported to heaven that i was joining in with the angels and there's that sense of of majesty and and awesomeness that that i couldn't really put words to it was it was a really special time lovely last question this is just a fun one if you were stuck on the ubiquitous desert island uh, with your copy of Bi- the Bible, the complete works of Shakespeare, what one, just one Christian, oh, just one. Or you can't have your eight, you've only got one, what one would you take with you? Um, Chris, go on. Well, um, I'm going to see if I can bend the rules and take the whole of the Bath St Matthew Passion. <laughs> um, it's one piece of music, but it's about two and a half hours long. Um <laughs> So um, it's, I mean, I think it, the, the, both the Bach passions are the kinds of things, if if, um, if your spiritual batteries need recharging, then it's a good thing just to sit down and listen to. And um, uh, and, and for me personally, it was uh, the first performance of that I was involved in was um, when I was uh, working at Osnabrück Cathedral in Germany. And that was a, um, it's a particular uh, pivotal moment in, in my life, both um, career-wise and personally. Um, and that just, I just, there are bits of that performance where I remember really being um, transported. So I think it would take me back to that. If you're going to force me to choose one bit, then I'll take the aria Ebarmadish, which is Have Mercy, and the following chorale, <laughs> Bin ich gleich von dir gewichen, which is If Against Thee I Have Offended. But I'm hoping you'll let me have all three phrases. <laughs> right, that's a great answer. Go on, fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll let you do that. Um, <laughs> Go on, Eleanor. Okay, um, so I I decided to go slightly out there, um, and it's it's a song called "Do It Again" by Elevation Worship. It's a beautiful song, and and it's a very contemporary song. It's written in the last couple of years, but it, it I was thinking about Im- imagining myself stuck on a desert island, and I think what I'd want to be reminded of is God's faithfulness and um, that he can do things again. Um, and that song speaks about God's promises still standing and his faithfulness being great. And I think that song would speak to my soul. It would speak to my um, 
life and it would hopefully be uplifting and I'd be happy to listen to that again and again, which I think I'd probably end up doing for quite a while. Over to me. Do, do you know, I'm going to do the foolish thing as well and take quite a new song. It's a risk, isn't yeah. it? Because you, you don't know how it's going to go. There's one song of the last um, – I, I met a, a chap called Wendell Kimbrew, who's a, an American um, songwriter based in Alabama, and uh, a few years ago. And there's one song that he wrote quite recently called Your Labour Is Not In Vain, which was a part of the Porter's Gate project. And um, it's one of those songs that – uh, I think when I first heard it, and, and it was like I could breathe again, having not been able to breathe for a long. It was, it was almost it was that rich an experience of oh, these are the words that need to come out. These are the things I need to say, and it has it's it's all about what it says. Your labor's not in vain. That you know, essentially things you, you're working away for the Lord, but it, none of it will be wasted. None of it will be wasted. And then the chorus is just a very simple: I am with you. I am with Ooh. you. I am with you, I am with you, for I've called you, I've called you by name, and your labour is not in vain. And I think if that were a refrain that I, I took to my desert island, um, then I think that might keep me going. Well, we've come to the end of our time together. A really big thank you to Chris, Eleanor and Joel, our guests today. And a big thank you to all of you uh, for listening. As ever, we want this podcast to be where the conversation starts, not where it ends. And so we're hoping that you'll keep reflecting, keep discussing, talking and listening to each other in your church or your fresh expression or small group. Uh, what part does sung worship play in your discipleship? In what ways do you or don't you feel that you draw close to God through it? Why do you think music has the ability to move people emotionally and spiritually? Uh, what comment do you think a non-churchgoer might make if they wandered into your church while the congregation was singing? What works musically in fresh expressions or in small groups? So much to talk about, uh, so much to think about uh, as we just consider that, that call as Christians to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Well, do join us next week for more Rethinking Aloud, podcasting in the Diocese of Leicester. And until then, stay safe and stay blessed.